what caught my eye was a few things, more than just a couple of few things. One was the product. When I started to dig into the product, I was like, hmm, really strong, you know, customer feedback and G2 ratings. Um, I couldn't believe for the company at the time, you know, they, they have 120, 130 engineers and product people working on it. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, I, you know, so I'm like, hmm, Series B company, 120, 130 people working on the product. That's amazing. And then the vision and, and, and ideas for the product were super exciting. So, you know, you really try to only join a company when there's a great product. <laughs> so product, uh, then at my time at HubSpot and Drift, I was involved in a lot of like building up, you could call them categories. I think that word is so overused. I like to think of them as like solutions and new ways to approach problems for people. Inbound marketing, conversational marketing. When I was joining Airmeet, um, or thinking about joining Airmeet, I was like, hmm, there's a new way that people could use events that very few people are doing with events right now. We're calling it event-led growth now, where you use events as kind of the center of gravity for a lot of your marketing, but specifically your content creation and community building efforts. And you're not thinking of events as like a thing that happens once or twice or maybe three times a year. You're thinking about events that happen throughout the quarter, even multiple times a month, that could be small 30, 60 minute events, or could be like longer two, three hour long, you know, online or in-person events. And then you might still have your flagship summit or user group, whatever, but you're using events in a way to help you create more original content, more, um, uh, you could say valuable connections between your community and with your buyers and customers and to really show off who your brand is. Uh, so I was like, hmm, we did this kind of at Drift. We used this playbook. It wasn't called event-led growth because we hadn't named it yet. But I'm like, hmm, event-led growth, that could be something that's really big. Uh, and the third thing was, you know, for me, it's just a big challenge. You know, this is my first time being a chief marketing officer. Um, the team is actually founded out of India. Uh, I did not want to go the traditional, hey, join a venture-backed company in America. We don't have to get into that now unless you really want to dig deep into that. But I was really kind of against doing that. And I really valued how they were approaching the business very fiscally responsible and just, you know, overall, like from a fundraising standpoint, didn't like generate, raise a ton of money. You know, I come from, again, Hoppin and Drift who raised, you know, not Hoppin, sorry, not Hoppin and Drift, HubSpot and Drift, Hoppin is one of our competitors, uh, who raised, you know, a hundred to $150 million and had super successful exits, you know, and, you know, Airmeets raised so far 50 million. And it's not like, you know, from a financially standpoint, we're very sound, but like, it wasn't one of these situations where you're like, oh, raise $150 million, a billion dollar valuation, huge pressure, huge expectations, super fast growth. And like, no, it's like slow and steady wins the race. And it's kind of like the point of this podcast, I guess, you know, so it's, it's good to talk to you, Justin. And uh, hopefully that wasn't too long of an answer. No, that's, that's great. I love it. I, there's so many things to dive in here because I think you guys are at the right of the center of one of a few narratives that have emerged out of the past two years, which is, you know, events basically went away for a while and we had to figure out, well, what does that look like when it returns? What does it look like in the meantime? And by the way, should we rethink all of this? Um, because I, you know, we're, people are, I hear people saying things like location doesn't matter and I don't need to do this in person anymore. And it is funny to, one of the funny things I think during the time, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but as people were trying to recreate sort of events virtually, I felt like we stuck way too much to the old format and tried to take the old format and make it virtual. And it's like, the, there's YouTube. I can go to YouTube if you're just going to talk at me. You know what I mean? Like, where's the interaction at that type of thing? And 
we've got these old models in our head that I think are slowly getting out of. And it seems like you guys are already starting to, you know, use some of the old models, but also introduce some new ways of how we could do this online in a more interesting way, which I assume we're just scratching the surface at this point still. Like there's probably all kinds of new ways to the point where I feel like, I mean, what do you think about the word event even? Do you think that in most people's minds, it still it still makes you think of this like conference that you fly into, whereas in the future, maybe that's not what's going to come to mind. I do think that's what people think of. I also think people have a negative connotation to, to with one other word, which is webinars. So there's webinars mm -hmm. and events, right? So like you said, and I like how you just framed all that. You know, what, you know, webinars are just terrible these days, right? So you, how do you create? A different type of webinar experience. We we can, we can talk about that, but from an event standpoint, you're absolutely right. People said, "Hey, let's 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 try to do some stuff like we did in person." But the only thing that we really replicated that we did in person with online virtual events is the content piece. And people don't go to an in-person event to sit in six hours or five hours, even four or three hours of content every day. They go, and this is just backed by data, for connections, networking, people. Right. And if you don't bring that into your virtual event, I don't care if it's 30 minutes or three hours, you're missing the purpose of getting people to join together. And that's ultimately our vision at Aramid is like, how do we get people to join together and meaningfully connect? Literally, like that's the ultimate goal. So the way we've thought about solving these problems is not so much about content. Content, yes, is important and it's going to you know, really uh, have a huge impact on the success of the event. But it's about like, how would you now differently deliver that content? One pro tip I'll give everyone right now is dynamic, short segments. Changing your segments uh, every five to 10, max 15 minutes is now, in my opinion, the best practice for online events. No one wants a 30 minute session. No one wants anything even, if 30 minutes is pushing it, 20 to 30 is really, really, like, I think really far. You need to have a captivating, amazing presenter speaker to do something for 20, 30 minutes, right? So to me, this is a huge paradigm shift that's gonna require us to rethink to your point, what is an event? How do I do online events? How are they different than in-person? What is my cost per attendee for online events versus my cost per attendee for in-person? Uh, and ultimately, how do I change the event experience up so that uh, one of my you know customers, buyers or customers, can get to experience different types of um, different types of, of interactions or things with our brand through getting them to, to come together, right? So uh, there's a lot to unpack here, I think, but you know, my, my mission right now is to help people understand that events can be a lot better and different than they have been. Um, but to, to pull that off, it's like what we did at HubSpot and kind of adrift. It's going to require a lot of education, a lot of change management, and um, a belief system change for a lot of marketers too, you know, because the content is now becoming really less effective and much harder and more expensive. What's one way that you can stand out that I actually think is not as expensive and it can be more original? Like, like right now, by the way, this could be an event. Like we could be doing this as a live event with like dynamic, fast moving questions. You could have different segments and then you would just edit in like the stuff that's good into your podcast. You could, you could do that, right? But a lot of people don't even think about it like that even. They're like, oh, just do a podcast async, whatever. Every podcast could be an event and every podcast, in my opinion, should have an event to go along with it. Because what is the podcast trying to do? Build a community. Why don't you get the community together at least once a month, once a quarter? 
And then maybe once a year, you get the whole community of podcast people together who's big enough to do something in person. So I'm going on a tangent, but my point is your notion of what an event means does fundamentally change. And I hopefully that podcast example kind of helped uh, people think about it differently. Yeah. If you had a chance, um, uh, let's say you're just meeting a, a lead marketer right now and um, they heard your name, didn't know much about it. How would you introduce the concept and the product? And like, what would that initial conversation sound like? I mean, I'm a huge Socratic uh, method guy. I love the Socratic method. Um, so it's, you know, le leading the fish to water through questions. So I would ask him a lot of questions, right? It's, uh, it's just, I, I, would, I would try to understand what are their main goals, challenges today? And I can almost guarantee you, depending on what some of those, those answers are, I will move the direction in a way that helps them think about, well, have you thought about, you know, using some format of an event, some type of an event, right? Like, again, I'm using that in broad terms to help you solve those. Uh, for example, hey, uh, yeah, one of my problems right now is just like customer engagement and customer training and onboarding. Interesting. So you have like customer videos and some customer help docs, but have you really tried to bring them together in a rich 45 minute intensive kind of learning experience where they network amongst each other, you feature customers who can share best practices, you get them to talk, you get them to do speed networking, you get them to do these things. No, I'm like, well, there's a potential way to solve your problem, you know? And by the way, you, you make that so uh, you incentivize people to engage more. And what do you mean by incentivize? Yeah, you could do merch, you could do other things. But what if it's like you come to this and you participate, you'll have more and more chances to get professional services credits or to get uh, time with our CEO or to come to this other event that we do, right? So I really think it's just a matter of changing what you mean by an event. Yeah, I'm curious, was, was the idea of event-based marketing and making marketers sort of the core uh, target audience was that from the was that part of the original hypothesis from the get-go or did the product kind of evolve into that uh, over time how did that kind of progress it did not start that way it evolved so Lalit the CEO one of the three co-founders he uh, fundamentally believed back in 2018 that uh People should not be constrained to the commute, to working in office. He felt like this dis distributed hybrid remote work is going to blow up. He had no idea the pandemic was going to happen, of course, 2018. So he set off to build an MVP, MVP product to help with like virtual office community building, um, not tied to a desk, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they were building the, the, the first beta version, right, the MVP. Uh, it was basically ready. It was ready Jan 2020. Three two months later, bam, the pandemic is like, what wait a timing? Minute. We could just pivot this thing. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so that the product, yeah, exactly. What timing? The product was innately about getting people to meet together, not about like broadcasting content, like a webinar or these other virtual event maybe solutions. It was about how do we facilitate connections between people. Um, so that's a big difference, I think. That's cool. Um, you talked a little bit about how it's, uh, you know, it's the common practice is raise a ton of money. Uh, and with that, a lot of pressure, go lightning fast. Um, it's very antithetical to even talk about anything other than that, right? What does it mean to be a marketer at a place who, I mean, in your words, was fiscally responsible and 
and um, and not chasing every opportunity to to drive up valuations and that type of thing. What does it mean from a what's the what's the difference to be in a CMO at a, a firm like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you could be more uh, focused in the long term, mm-hmm. right? Because like, what do you do? You raise a lot of money to produce results really fast. What do you, you spend money on paid ads? You spend money on paid social, paid search. You buy you buy content syndication lists. You you do a lot of sponsoring of other people's events to drive demand and, and whatnot. But if you don't buy, if you don't build something that is uniquely yours and defensible for the long term. So, for example, again, we're creating this new way to think about events and and how do you use events called event led growth. That's a, that's going to be a book one day, right? Like that's that's a whole thing that's going to have certifications behind it, like because it's a massive change in how people think about events. That's a long-term play, right? We're also thinking about attendee first, right? So how do we build a product with a belief system that's about attendee first, our customers' attendees? Um, so it helps you optimize more for like, I think the long run while um, also paying more attention to things that um, you should be doing in a scrappy way because you have like theoretically less resources but you, but you just you're just smarter because you're not like you're telling yourself, oh, I have a ten or fifteen million dollar mark marketing budget. No, I have to be more. I have to be uh, more focused. I have to prioritize more, and I have to think more about like ROI, right? So it actually forces you to be better versus forces you to be lazy when you raise more money. In my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you you have to do it the right way. There's no other option, right? Like you you can't pay for it. And uh, and hope everything else kind of falls into place. No, and you want to build, you want to you want to focus more on like the long term stuff, so that when you do go raise your next round, it's like whoa, they built like a great a kind of mini flywheel for content organic. They built an amazing way to acquire people through uh, events and discover and engage people through events. They built an amazing uh, story and belief system, a, a belief system around what their brand stands for. Uh, how they're uniquely different, the story of the company, the story of the brand, how they built products for that, right? A lot of marketers do that way later, like maybe series C, D, I don't know when they do it. Maybe they, you know, they just do it sometimes even like after the fact. I would always start with that. Again, in like C to series A, B, it can kind of change as you figure out like product market fit to your point and whatnot. But the, the sooner you kind of understand your product market fit and you're going to focus on these ICPs, the sooner I would codify that. Like what's the brand story, the solution story, the category story, the category story, what's your product story and what's the story of your customers? I think of it as levels of altitude. You go like 30,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 1,000 feet and zero feet. And you, how do you land the plane? How do you land the plane to get someone to buy your product or invest in your company? You got to walk them through that story and help them nice slowly descend through it. And you could do that maybe in five minutes, maybe it takes 60 minutes, but the crisper you get at all those different levels uh, the easier it is going to be to get someone to understand it and then take action and ultimately like, you know, invest in some way. Yeah. We see it all the time. Um, when we have people asking for, you know, messaging journeys or things of that nature, and it's, you know, usually the product messaging is decent, um, still need some work with different segments and maybe different stages of the funnel, but then the brand is usually not really in place at all. And then that's you know one of the first places that we get involved, but knowing when is the right time, when is it too early to really bother yourself with that? And then when is it like, you must do this. If you don't do this, you're going to burn a lot of time and energy, you know, with soft messaging or things that just don't make any sense. Your team's not going to have a clue, like what the value props are at different stages, that type of thing. So 
it's always interesting to hear when people agree, like when that is necessary. And then also when does it need to get updated and, and relooked at it? We used to say, well, you do it here. And then after a certain period of time, you look at it here. Now we just say it's always being looked at. Like it's like almost like a monthly cadence of, of looking at that type of thing. I, I think you always look at it. And um, for my now three experiences with HubSpot, Drift and AirMeets, I mean, you do it like right away. Like you do like, you mm-hmm. know, series a at the latest right because if you look at hubspot right. right inbound marketing that conversational marketing even that drift was built on brand just like their spark was the seeking wisdom podcast that uh dave and dave gerhardt david cancel and dave gerhardt did for many years and that like then then once they figured out product market fit they built conversational marketing and then it started to evolve from there right so it's like you do it you do it as soon as you feasibly can especially in the brand side when do you start to really codify it and then build like integrated campaigns around it. I think that's probably more like at least, you know, later stage series A into series B. Um, but I'll just say, I haven't gone through it now a few times. Like the sooner you can get your marketing team aligned around like an integrated approach. And that forces you to align with sales and force and just focus on pipeline as the North star slash revenue. Um, the sooner, the better things are going to be. And like, for, for us, like most companies start with like this idea of leads and they evolve now more and more to be uh, accounts, right? So, and like, you know, some some have hard times, you know, going through that transition. Um, to me, it's, it's, you actually have to have both, right? Because you have to have the idea of intent and interest of a person. And then you have to have the pre-qualification and fit of an account, right? So it's like, it's a matrix. And the reason I'm going on off, the, off on this tangent is because uh, it goes back to my comment on focus. Like, you know, the, the, the most companies die because of, of, of not even maybe poor decisions, but not good focus, which is a decision within itself because you're deciding to focus on too many things. I get that. So it's kind of like, okay, fine. You're spitting in a, in a circle. But at the same time, like if you can just focus on uh, the right types of people the classic science saying there's personas but more importantly like the the accounts that um are just 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 buying more from you right like they're just like they're they're retaining and buying more from you and who are those people in those accounts focus on that and and then and then the biggest exercise people don't do probably soon enough is they don't do a tam and a sam or and som exercise so total addressable market serviceable addressable market and serviceable obtainable market. I'm telling you startups, like I'm surprised it's in the top more like, you know, from, I don't know, it's not not taught enough or talked about enough, but like the sooner you can start to do that, like once you have that kind of initial product market fit, you can start to see, well, how really big is my product market fit? Is this good? Is this have a potential to be like a hundred million dollar revenue company, smaller than that, bigger than that? Like where, where, where could we land? Right. Um, so I think one of my first hires I would make, you know, on the just team overall is someone who can help us with that analysis. Um, and we actually just did that at Aramid. It was fascinating. Um, I got a masterclass of that when I was at Drift. So I was lucky enough to, to do that and see that. And now, you know, we're just like literally less than three years into this journey and we can see the opportunity in front of us and it helps us focus so much more. How do you think that affects the decisions made in the marketing team is really understanding where what the potential is and what stage you're at currently like what what how do you see that influencing like day-to-day decisions the the like the tam sam som analysis 
Um, to me, it's really about messaging, product roadmap, and like so product launch, like product roadmap, and messaging kind of go to get hand to hand, but like the messaging altitudes we talked about, product roadmap, roadmap, and whatnot. And um, the 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 go to market model we want to use to acquire these customers. So I'll keep it those three things. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We we lean on uh, search data a lot to help understand that in a more nuanced way. Typically, there's a business strategy that has defined that, but then we can get into um, you know user intent a little bit more. And I think that's a really fascinating way to sort of paint that picture in a little bit more, add a little bit more color to some of those numbers and what that looks like in terms of people's needs, what they're looking for, like what the competition is for some of those sort of jobs to be done in that phase. But it is very interesting stuff because you could go into that with some sort of weird illusions of what this could be. And then you find out, no, it's actually smaller than you think, or, or maybe it is bigger than you think. And uh, we need to rearrange some of our tactics and budgets and to account for that, right? Well, yeah, because you can cut the data so many different ways, right? Like there's so many, there's so many data sources that help you, you know, once you find the four or five or six dimensions, you want to, you know, score your account model after, um, you know, say you find it to be huge, right? Your TAM's huge. And then you look at your SAM and it's huge. Then, then I would add a question like, well, how, how mature is your product? Which is like some serviceable, obtainable market is about like your actual product fit. Like can your product and not just your product, but your services, your team, customer success, et cetera, like actually obtain this market. Like you have the skill sets, the people, the product, et cetera. Um, so like, you got to go through the whole thing. And then it's a question of like, well, how fast could you do these things? And what are the trade-offs from an investment standpoint? Like, um, so again, like you don't want to over-engineer this. This is always a work in progress to your point, even just about messaging, right? But the point is to uh, do this because you might find that like, hmm, there's three verticals. If we just narrow this down to three verticals, wow, there's really no competitors in those verticals. We can create really crisp positioning in these three verticals and it's still a big opportunity. But we didn't even do, we didn't even know that until we did this, right? So like it forces you to kind of focus and understand the market, your, your customers um, and how you should take your company you know, in the next phase of growth. Yeah, you talked about messaging and, uh, and alignment being really important to do sooner than later. What are some of the uh, maybe less obvious benefits from that? I'll, I'll tell you one that I see, which is I think every meeting goes faster after you've gone through a messaging exercise. What I often see is that the first 15 minutes of every meeting is like, well, I don't know if we're going to talk to them in this way, you know, or there's conversations like that. You get past that and it's like, all right, now what's this meeting about? So that's one of the benefits I see. What else do you see? I mean, the, the first thing that we always train our teams to do, we're going through this right now at Airmeet, um, is to be able to, uh, well, here, I'll give you one pro tip. One is like you certify the company on the messaging. Have you seen this? Like you cert, like it's not a huge certification, but it's like a 30 minute self-paced experience where people have to get certified on the core messaging of the company, like the two-sheeter. Um, and then what you do is you, you pull that into different teams and say, okay, great sales team. To your point about like meetings, let's explain what we believe and, and how we see the world differently and how that relates to how we build our product. The key to great messaging, in my opinion, is taking um, how you see things changing, unfolding, like, you know, and your, your special sauce 
and tying that into then how you build the product and then show them that product, right? It's like, it's again, it's those levels of altitude, right? Um, so if you only just talk about features or products, or even if you're just outcome focused and you don't talk, you have, you have great outcomes, great product features, you're a great solution, but you still don't connect the dot around like this bigger vision. And it's really vision and value-based selling together, right? You can't just sell in value. I think you have to sell in vision and value. And the vision is the messaging. So take the time <laughs> to come up with the messaging, right? It's, it's, it can, I guarantee it will help you increase ACV, if, if not at the very least, help you increase retention, especially if you can deliver against that vision, not just from a product standpoint, but from like a customer education standpoint, a marketing you know, standpoint, a resource standpoint, you can get people to like really start to believe and buy into that vision by guess what? Getting them together through events. <laughs> so there's a plug for events again. But yeah, I, I, I think it's super important. I couldn't agree more. Um, back to uh, event-based and, and some of your customers, where do you see, um, are there certain industries or attributes that you see in customers where they really get the sort of, beachhead of having event-based um, be the center of things versus just this other thing we do and this is a and this is a platform that we use for it like where do you see the the uh, the biggest fans or the the quickest adopters I mean the people who, who understand the importance of building relationships with your customers it's just a natural thing right like how do you build how do you build relationships with your customers and buyers at scale do more events like it's, you know, I mean, you, you could, um, you could try to, you know, do it through more one-to-one -one human interactions, but like empirical things have shown us at my past companies that the more you get people to talk to someone at your company, either through a support interaction, an account manager, a CSM, any, any of these interactions, the more likelihood they are going to stick around actually. Like calling support is not necessarily a bad thing. Calling support can be a really good thing actually, right? So if you can get more people to interact with your company in a way that feels really natural and fun, differentiated, uh, it captivates them a little bit, they remember it as a good experience, um, then go ahead and do it. So I think the people that just philosophically, the businesses that philosophically understand that do a lot more events, like Drift and HubSpot are those two companies. I mean, they, they do a lot of events to get people together, to teach them things, to get them to inspire, to be inspired from each other, to, to connect with one another. It, so community, right? It's like, do you have a community kind of DNA? Um, but say like, say you maybe don't have that. The other way you can approach this is just through what is a uh, way to help me scale a marketing team that doesn't have a lot of resources. So this goes back to my comment on center of gravity. So instead of trying to hire like people to do content, events, community building, blah, 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 blah. You could have one team that does all that and just be lean and nimble. So how would I do that? You would build community through doing these small online events, right? Just over time. Uh, and maybe have, again, a couple of in-person as well. But again, depending on your resources, budget, whatever, you know, choose wisely. And you repurpose all of that event content and all those relationships you build with speakers and people that participate in the event. And you publish content about it, right? And... At the same time, like you're, you're, so you're doing content, you're doing events, you're doing community building. And like, we just did an event today, right before that we record this podcast, we have a monthly uh, power hour. We, every six months we show the basically next six months of product innovation. We don't show everything, but like we went through like with the three core product managers we have six months, like tons of capabilities, tons of features. And 
guess what that did? That just gave our product team so much either validation, things to think about, feedback, and people were loving it because we include them in the process of us building the product, yeah. right? So it's like, I mean, so, so, so. Build like, publicly. Build publicly, 100%. So anyway, like, I'm again, I'm calling down this rant again of our like events, but you don't need, you need people who are, who are great at helping people um, connect. And I hate to be general generalizing here, but the, you know, as you could probably tell, I'm a pretty extroverted type of guy, person. I think if you can hire people that are more extroverted, who can especially help on the event side, not saying introverts cannot be part of events. They should be part of events and they can be great hosts and great speakers, but you also just need people that are naturally able to pull people together, right? Uh, and you, you need people who are willing to just kind of put themselves out in uncomfortable situations uh, and start stuff up. Like I, don't, I honestly don't care about like, know how I come across too much I try to be as like authentic natural and, and stick to my core values and if you put me in a situation that I don't have any prep for or context around I'll be okay because I'm used to that comfort and that's what I mean by extroverted and that's what like you know events that when you start them up early days you, you're just gonna you're gonna try things and figure it out you're not gonna be perfect just like you don't create perfect content from the get-go so I think there's just a, a reluctance to this goes way back to the beginning of the conversation to like try new things with events because people are like, well, how is that going to come across? It's got to be perfect. It's going to be polished. I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, I agree. It, you're right. It's, I think uh, some people have learned that, yeah, content's going to be rough for the, you just got to stick with it and find your groove and find out what works. But events, it's been intimidating because in the past, we're still stuck in this old model of thinking where it was like, it's a big effort, big expense, lots of logistics, all that type of thing. And you're saying, no, Barrier entry is very low, actually. In fact, you can make very small scale mistakes. Nobody's going to pay attention. You can find your groove just like anything else. Yeah, I mean, you could set up an event, just a quick plug with Airmeet right now for nine for a 90-minute event up to 100 people for free and do that as many times as you want. And like you'll and like I guarantee you, you will get value from that, and your and your uh attendees will get value from that as long as you um we'll say we'll go back to messaging and storytelling right now. A great event is about telling a story. It's you know, so yeah, you build the run a show, you build an agenda, but it's about the story you are trying to tell throughout those thirty or three hours or three days that you have to plan out. And and do you have to do that perfectly for the first few events you do? No, no, no. You just need to like, you need to always start with the end in mind. If an attendee is going to da, 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 da. I was just I literally write this out. My team does this, and it's, it's called backwards planning. It's very it's an educational thing, right? A student will be able to dot dot dot. An attendee will be able to dot 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 after this event, right? So it's like, what have they learned? What who have they connected with, right? Like, what have they done, right? So just thinking with the end in mind for the attendee is where I always start.